This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, and this is The Full Story. An energy crisis is brewing in Australia, with price spikes and supply issues plaguing much of the country. Energy Minister Chris Bowen claims the previous coalition government left behind a bin fire of energy issues, which contributed to this perfect storm. The former government promised a gas-fired recovery and left us a gas bin fire for the new government to deal with. I don't hold the former government accountable for any particular element of the crises we are facing. I do say this, though. The former government's nine years of denial and delay, their 20 three energy policies, their ad hocery, their changes of uh, policy approaches have left Australia ill-prepared and our energy markets ill-prepared for the challenges we are facing today in relation to gas and energy supply. But the coalition says this problem lies with the new government and their inexperience. Let's call it out for what it is. It's the voice of inexperience and when the previous government was faced with these issues, we were able to deal with them. So what is behind this perfect storm? And what could governments do to help households through this winter and prevent future energy crises? Today, Australia's energy crisis. It's Thursday, the 9th of June. So, Peter, let's go from the top. One of the big stories this week is that our energy bills are going to increase. I'm wondering if we can start by just breaking down how energy prices are set in the first place and who sets them. Okay, so look, it comes down to markets. Peter Hannum is Guardian Australia's economics correspondent. Which sometimes can be opaque, such as for gas, uh, that few people can actually see what the price is, to electricity, where we get the wholesale price every five minutes. By wholesale price, we're talking about the cost we are paying the generators of those electrons traveling down the wires to our homes and businesses. But what you and I pay lands in our retail bills. And guess what? Only about a quarter relates to that cost of generation. So on top of that, we're forking out for all those poles and wires to deliver the power when we flick a switch and all those annoying ads uh, that uh, want us to change our retailer. Right, so we're paying for the generation of power and also what it costs to get it to us and a bunch of other things. Yes, but look, this price of power isn't just up to the retailers and energy companies. There's also national and state regulatory bodies. Mm. And so there's really two players you need to pay attention to. There's the Victorian government, which sets a market price for that state, and an Australian energy regulator that sets standard price for those in southeast Queensland, New South Wales, and South Australia. In combination, they're really setting a standard price that um, signals to the general market what the cost of um, electricity should be and nudges the different players to get close to that number. And that's called the default market offer. Is the default market offer something that companies have to offer or can they charge higher than that? It does provide something of a benchmark, uh, a way in effect to sort of anchor prices. So retailers typically would be looking to be around there, if not slightly below there, because that's where they expect their competitors to be. So if you are being charged higher than the default market offer, you can switch companies and get a better deal. Is that how the system is supposed to work, Peter? Uh, yes, that's right. So you know, as a default, it's like you do nothing else. This is kind of what you're going to pay. 
Um, and uh, if you do a bit of work, you can do better, which is why the uh, Australian Energy Regulator, which sets that offer, does encourage people to look around. So how much are energy bills expected to rise over the next year? So um, last month, we got an indication of what this standard price, also known as the default market offer, how that was going to increase. At the most, it's going up by 18%, but mostly it's smaller than that. In New South Wales, for example, it'll be probably adding either $119 or up to $227 more per household. But in South Australia, for example, only $124 uh, on average more and Queensland somewhere in between. Right. So an extra 18% or a couple of hundred dollars over the next year for a regular household in some states. Is that fair to say, Peter? That's right. And that's really the most. So for others, it's probably closer to like 8%, for example. So what prompted these price rises, Peter? Okay. So look, energy in general has been getting more expensive probably since about the September quarter onwards last year. So uh, as economies started to come out of COVID restrictions, there was more demand for everything. Um, But energy was one part of that. Then there was sooner or later going to be some increase. And so the March quarter, for example, the wholesale price on average, and that's really the you know cost of generation, was up to like $87 per megawatt hour. And that was more than double a year earlier. So that was an indication that things had already started to rise. Right. So there was a rush of demand as businesses ramped up over the past six months and people returned to offices and the like. What about supply of this energy? Well, there were supply constraints. Uh, COVID had restricted, you know, a range of industries. And one of those was the supply of energy. And if you've got even the same demand, but less supply, prices will go up. So that had been one of the factors that was already in train before Russia invaded Ukraine and uh, set everything else, you know, up another notch. How much did the war in Ukraine affect supply? Well, Russia is one of the biggest energy exporters in the world. Mm. And because of that invasion, uh, there were immediate sanctions placed on Russian oil and gas. So Europe in particular, but others as well, had to start scrambling to find uh, sources of energy from elsewhere. Uh, And that was a key reason why energy prices uh, started to spike. Right. So economies coming out of COVID, the war in Russia and Ukraine. Is there anything else that's driven up prices, especially in Australia? Yes, look, another issue is that in Australia, still the biggest supplier of electricity is coming from coal. Those plants are aging. Many of them are being earmarked for closure. There's less maintenance. And guess what? Now there's more breakdowns. And in recent uh, weeks, we've had pretty much a third of the coal capacity offline. Mm. And that's uh, you know a key reason why prices have started to rise lately in Australia. Plus, Coal supply is affected by all that flooding and uh, inundation in some mines. So you've had those issues. Then along comes winter to bump up demand. And it's this season where actually sustained energy use is the highest across Australia. And for places like Victoria, there's a lot of uh, gas space heating, for example. uh, And that uh, puts extra strain on what is typically um, the uh, busiest time for generators. Uh, This is unfortunately uh, a perfect storm uh, of uh, conditions and challenges in our energy market. And so it was the new treasurer, Jim Chalmers, who first sort of pulled all these threads together and described it as a perfect storm. So it's the general rise of energy 
On top of that, the Russian invasion, you know, the coal outages, and lately the weather all combining. So there's four things. So the question is whether this is just going to be a short-lived squall or something that's actually a storm which uh, rolls through the winter and uh, causes a lot more crisis for energy users. Uh, this is the chickens coming home to roost when it comes to almost a decade now on climate change and energy policy failure from our predecessors. So this week the government has been talking about how this problem did start well before the pandemic or the war. It started with the previous government's reliance on fossil fuels in the energy market. Are they right? All right, look, let's firstly lay out what the market looks like right now. In recent years, the federal government more or less gave up trying to come up with a national plan, so states have really been going their own way towards more renewables. Uh, but still, about three quarters of our electricity is coming from fossil fuels, most of that from black and brown coal. Solar, wind and hydro make up that other third. Solar in particular is rising fast. So uh, since clean energy is effectively free to generate, we should have lower power bills over time. But it's how we get to uh, those lower emissions, uh, utopia if you like, um, will be key. For the outgoing coalition government, they had a gas-led recovery which was supposed to provide a bridge to the future. Gas plants, they can turn on and off quickly. Uh, and as a result, they're pretty good backups for wind and solar that uh, by their nature are intermittent. But anyway, here's the catch. Gas is expensive. And by the way the market works, whenever gas is used to generate power, the price of the whole market rises. And as it happens, we also have problems with supply. Right. So in this time where we're moving towards renewables, we have been relying on gas, but it has a few problems here. What's the problem with the supply of gas in Australia that we're looking at right now? So look, in our genius, we export about three times as much as we use, but we forgot to set aside some for local use, at least in the east. Um, that's not the case in Western Australia, however. There, about 15% of production is reserved for local use. And guess what? They aren't facing gas shortages nor soaring power prices. Uh, we've also seen in the last few weeks rising calls for uh, similar reservations in the East, such as from the Australian Workers' Union. Uh, they're calling for an investigation into uh, whether uh, Eastern states should copy the West. Though, of course, the gas industry says, look, only reserve gas from new fields. Otherwise, you've moved our goalposts and we'll take our ball away if you do that. So it sounds like Labor does have a point here in that our reliance on gas and these kind of falling down coal plants is part of the problem that we're seeing right now. Would an energy market that relies more on renewables necessarily solve these problems though? Look, if there is a perfect storm, as has been described for the energy crisis, there's an island in the storm, and that's the ACT. They've had a 100% renewable energy strategy, which was actually funded in a, in a mechanism which put a cap on how high um, electricity prices could go. So actually, they're sailing through this particular storm without much buffeting at all. Peak bodies in Australia, uh, think the AI group for uh, industrial users of gas, for example, National Farmers Federation, the Property Council, Clean Energy Council, or even St. Vincent de Paul, all of them have written uh, an open letter. The letter backed calls for, quote, accelerating our clean energy transition. The trouble is you can't 
easily uh, knock up a new wind farm or solar farm and connect it to the grid, that takes a bit of time. And so while the federal government does have a $20 billion plan uh, to invest in, uh, for instance, new transmission lines, uh, you need lots of regulation, uh, approvals, and so on for that actually to happen. So that's definitely not something that can be switched on at a moment's notice. Over time, though, uh, the government will be able to support more renewables. And as we said earlier, that's the cheapest form of electricity, and that should uh, flow through eventually to uh, lower power bills. The coalition, including opposition leader Peter Dutton, have said there are simple ways the government could fix the current crisis by increasing gas supply right now. The legislation is there, the power is there for Chris Bowen to act. Uh, it doesn't exactly even... It doesn't even... Was drafted the way it was. Is this true, Peter? What kind of options are on the table there? One thing the Turnbull government introduced was uh, something called the Australian Domestic Gas Supply Mechanism, which is so wordy, of course, everybody's shortened it to the gas trigger. So basically, it's a policy available to the resources minister um, that can require natural gas projects to limit the exports or find new gas supplies, basically diverting supply to the domestic market. It doesn't actually have an effect on prices, um, the, well, at least the way it's designed now. However, the design also means that it's not immediate. Any discussion about changes now couldn't come into effect uh, until next January, unless the Resources Minister went about rewriting the rules. But it doesn't even have an impact until next year, as you know. Uh, all, all I can say to you is that these same problems presented to the previous government and they were able to be dealt with. So look, basically pulling this trigger is going to require lots of consultation with the market um, because they don't want to spook the investors. So that's why uh, Chris Bowen last week you know, shrugged off suggestions that this could be anything like an immediate fix, noting that, that because the way it's designed, um, it wouldn't take effect until next January. So as he says, this is not the answer to this short-term crisis. Mm -hmm. Right. So what options are on the table to increase supply right now and address this current crisis? Okay. So Resources Minister Madeleine King, she's been phoning up all the energy companies. Um, she's managed to get um, a slight diversion of gas southwards from Queensland into the southeast. Uh, but there are actually uh, limits on the pipeline capacity. So they've pretty much been transferring as much as could be uh, sent southwards. So look, she's also not ruled out um, this gas trigger, but as we noted uh, earlier, that's not something you could do in the short term. Mm. So look, another thing is the Resources Minister has also wanted to see um, what coal capacity exists, just maximised, because there's about a quarter of it offline at the moment. So she'd like to see sort of those areas worked on by the energy companies just to ensure there's more capacity uh, when the market needs it. So in, in the very short term, what we really need to do is to have the coal uh, power stations come back online because that is the, the missing piece in the puzzle right now. There's been unplanned outages for many reasons, many beyond the control uh, of those operators, and, and I do accept that, but uh, I hope they're doing their level best to make sure uh, this power source comes online as well. Mm. Chris Bowen is meeting with all of the state and territory energy ministers as we speak on Wednesday. What do you think might come out of that? We don't expect uh, sort of any 
concrete uh, changes. This meeting is mostly going to be uh, setting the scene for the next uh, couple of years uh, with the new federal minister in charge. Uh, they'll be briefed by the regulators uh, and uh, different uh, organizations just on the state of play. So one of the priorities that we'll be talking about, though, is something called a capacity market. And what that means is consumers um, paying generators to have some standby capability uh, to reduce the risk of outages. It's something that operates in a lot of countries and also, again, in Western Australia. So it's kind of like an energy safety net when we experience the kind of perfect storm that we're going through at the moment. Is that right, Peter? Yes, it's a fail-safe to extent that you don't have major turmoil in the market, but um, definitely it gives a little bit of breathing space for um, energy ministers um, without sort of risk of blackouts or brownouts, particularly during winter when um, a lot of people could uh, actually have a lot of discomfort if that happened. Um, that would take some time to bring into play. We're talking about probably 2025, so it's not anything that will happen soon. Now, the debate, though, is going to be one that's really worth watching because if you are going to pay for extra capacity online, just sitting there, what sort of capacity is that? So this is definitely a fault line in the energy uh, debate and certainly one to watch over the months and possibly years to come. Next what the government, the energy companies, and you can do to bring down your energy bills right now. So, Peter, we've kind of talked about how the government can fix supply and the market in the long term, but this winter, a lot of households are going to be pretty hard hit with these higher bills. What can we do about that in the meantime? Let's start with the states. Yes, so in Queensland's case, they'd already planned to give households on average $50 as a rebate. And uh, since they own the coal-fired power stations and presumably are seeing some kind of windfall gain, uh, they upped that rebate $125 to make it $175. Uh, and in fact, that's roughly close to what an average increase in the power bill will be. Mm. So they've covered that off. So in New South Wales, they knew that the impact would fall heaviest on uh, low-income households or you know those showing financial distress. And they increased by a third the amount of money that uh, these uh, households can uh, apply for to uh, help cover the higher electricity and gas prices. Mm. Is there anything else that the federal government could be doing at the moment to help consumers who are going to struggle over the next year? The Australian Council of Social Services, or ACOS, now they're calling on the government to provide as much as $1,000 uh, in energy debt relief as a subsidy um, to help you know, those who are hardest hit users, some households and businesses, in fact. So ACOS is arguing for this subsidy because they say the number of households in debt has skyrocketed during COVID with uh, more than 250,000 people uh, owing their energy suppliers. Uh, so they've got kind of debt coming out of the pandemic from that. So ACOS is calling for a suspension of that debt, but also um, more spending to improve energy efficiency in the home or in business. Mm -hmm. The other end, which is something that the government uh, has ruled out, they're not contemplating at all at this point, is some kind of windfall tax as introduced in the UK, where you identify that, look, in effect, the cost of producing gas, let's say, in Australia hasn't really changed, but the uh, producers are enjoying 
windfall profits because global prices have soared. And there should be some way to claw back um, some of that uh, excess short-term profit and uh, send it to places where it's probably needed more. Right. So the government could force the big energy companies to pay for these rising costs, but couldn't energy companies themselves just swallow some of these costs in the first place and not pass them on to consumers? Well, look, they can, but uh, only probably for a short time before they go broke. So you have to imagine that um, all these companies, they pay a certain amount for gas or electricity and then on sell it to customers at often a set price that they can't just move uh, at short notice. So the squeeze for them is suddenly the cost of their gas or electricity is soared um, and then they're really in a bind and they won't be able to uh, stay in business. That's why we've had dozens of um, retailers. They, they've dropped trying to attract new customers and uh, some of them are even telling existing ones, we'll give you $100 if you can go to another retailer. Right. Please leave us. You're costing us money to keep on, essentially. Yes. And look, we don't see that very often. You know, uh, not only go away, we'll pay you to go away. <laughs> what about consumers? Is there anything that they can actively do to try and shield themselves from some of the pain of these prices? Yes. Yeah, so one thing uh, listeners could take away is that effectively uh, governments see electricity and gas as essential services. So you do have some clout when you're speaking to your retailer to uh, stretch out your payments so that they don't all bulge during the winter months, for example, or actually seek summer relief. Basically, uh, every major supplier on the website has details how you can actually ask for delays if needed. One thing that uh, the Australian Energy Regulator talks about is there's still some value in shopping around, um, trying to find a better retailer. As we uh, touched on earlier, though, the retailers themselves are not competing very hard. So shopping around is probably going to have less impact than at other times in the sort of energy price cycle. Mm. And there are some fairly low-cost uh, measures that everyone can take just to make our homes and businesses more energy efficient. And it might just be taping over, you know, leaky door frames or getting a door snake, uh, you know, putting on a couple of extra layers so we don't have to have the heaters on so long. So there are some sort of short-term ways that consumers probably without too much uh, discomfort could lower their overall bills even as prices go up. It seems that this moment has kind of woken people up. You do have all levels of government coming together this week. You've got advocacy bodies and industry speaking out. Do you think this is a turning point that we'll learn from, Peter? Look, we're living in the middle of an enormous transition from one type of energy market to another. Things are going to get messy. The loudest voices may well have vested interests that aren't the same as yours, mine, or even the nation's. Uh, we need to keep our eyes on the objective of ditching fossil fuels, but smoothing out the transition. That's the bit that's been missing. Um, and look, at the end of the day, if you can avoid wasting energy, both in needless debates about energy, <laughs> but also in our homes and businesses in the first place, that's a good place to start. That was Peter Hannum, Guardian Australia's economics correspondent. Since recording this episode, Energy Minister Chris Bowen has announced that following an emergency meeting, federal, state and territory energy ministers have agreed to allow the Australian energy market operator to store gas to combat future price spikes 
and to give regulators more power over the energy market to provide more transparency. The ministers have also agreed to advance a national transition plan to aid in the transition towards renewable energy. To learn more about this latest update, head to theguardian.com. Okay, that's it for today. This episode was produced by Jane Lee and Krishna Lusria. Sound design and mixing by Camilla Hannon. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Martignoni, Gabrielle Jackson, and me, Laura Murphy Oates. If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave a rating or a review. Okay, catch you tomorrow.